welcome to another inspirational message from Brave Church UK. Everyone had a good Christmas so far? And uh, it's not over yet. The Christmas season is not over yet. Anyone had enough turkey? If you see another piece of turkey, maybe you'll throw up this morning. I don't know. And uh, I don't know if we're, are we serving turkey after service? We are serving turkey <laughs> after service. So hopefully you're not fed up with turkey. There'll be turkey to eat, plenty of tur- more turkey to eat after service. But uh, I hope you've enjoyed yourself, enjoyed the Christmas season, eaten, eaten your heart out. And uh, I know that on Christmas Day, um, we had eaten a plenty. And uh, not just on Christmas Day, <laughs> every day since. And, uh, and we don't plan on stopping that anytime soon. But uh, it's great uh, that you join us this morning. And uh, for those of you who've not been for a while or are visiting or are back for the holidays, very warm welcome to you as well. Glad that you could join us. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to um, John's Gospel, chapter 21. Chapter 21. I would just say if you've got young kids and, and yeah. you need to exit at some point, then we have, do have a live link in the main coffee house. You can hear it and you can see it. You can enjoy it there, which is awesome. And um, I, I don't know about you, I love Christmas. I love Christmas because um, centrally uh, it's about Jesus. But also I love Christmas because you get a lot of food. And, uh, and, I, and one of my favorite things about Christmas is not just eating, but watching the kids open and enjoy the presents. Anybody else who's got children like that? And I love that. In fact, we're still in the stage uh, in our home where our kids want, for Christmas, dress-up outfits. And uh, this year, Phoebe, she got a few outfits. She got Anna and, uh, with the cape and, and, and all that kind of stuff. She looks awesome. She wants a hair plaiting like Anna's when she has it on. And, uh, and she got also the new Elsa frozen dress. She already had a frozen dress, but there's a new frozen movie out. And there's a new dress that comes with that movie. <laughs> don't know if you knew that. She wanted that one as well. And uh, she got uh, Merida as well. She got the Merida dress. You can see a theme here, all Disney characters. My favorite uh, dress that, that Phoebe got this year was Moana. And it was my favorite for a few reasons. It's, it's an awesome dress, but it comes with a wig. And there's, there's a Moana wig, like she's got these, this long curly hair. I, I don't know if they do them in my size, but I'm thinking about getting one. Uh, it not only comes with a wig, but it comes with one of the, the little paddles as well, like a Moana paddle. And, uh, and when she presses it, presses it, it says, I'm an adventurer. I'm an adventurer. And uh, she's singing Moana around the house, and it has been a musical-themed Christmas in our house. Uh, when she puts on her Elsa dress, she's got to have the Frozen 2 soundtrack on. So, uh, so for those of you who've seen the film and know that, that, that song is now forever ingrained in my memory. Because I've heard it that many times. Seth still likes his, uh, to dress up as well, likes his outfits. This year, uh, he's gone crazy for Star Wars. So we got Star Wars books and figures and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the favorite outfit he got this year was Kylo Ren. So we got the, the black outfit that, that's like a dress. And, uh, and he got the mask and the hood. And he got a red lightsaber as well. For some reason, you can pray for my son. For some reason, he always likes the bad guy. <laughs> always does. And, uh, and he loves it. Uh, and it's great watching the kids dress up and just play. They go off. It's, it's an amazing interaction watching Elsa play with Kylo Ren. That's quite an interesting one. They go in and out of Frozen and, and Star Wars collectively. And, uh, and Seth, uh, every now and then, will say, right, Phoebe, you've got to be the emperor. 
the emperor and fire electric at him and all that kind of stuff. He's got to block it with his sword. And occasionally we get involved and, and join in as well. But what I love about it is, um, is, is the dressing up phase. I love that it's an escape from reality. That literally when they put on those costumes for, I don't know, an hour or two, uh, for the time that they play, they're stepping into a different character. And they're stepping out of reality. And I love that about it. It's, it's almost like a little bit of escapism. And in the story we're going to read in, in John chapter 21, I think there's an element in the story, uh, reality for the people that we're going to read about, for the disciples of Jesus, reality's got tough. And just for a moment, they decide to escape from reality, only to find out that they've got to come back to reality at some point. And I think for, for some of us in, in the midst of life, there are times where we just want to escape from reality. And I wanted this morning, I want to kind of draw a line under uh, 2019 for us. And maybe it's longer than that for some of us. Maybe it's been a season we've been walking through of challenge and an obstacle and of issue. And I want to draw a line under it for some of us and for us to find confidence and trust afresh in the hands of Jesus. That no matter what we go through, he's got us. And maybe for some of us, maybe for, for, for a lot of us in here, you've been, you've been hiding and you've been removing yourself from reality because you don't want to face the reality of your own life and the circumstance that's around. And I want to encourage you, you can face it with God's help. And in John chapter 21, it's an amazing little story. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read quite a few verses to us this morning. But I want us to get into the story and make a few points as we do that. It says this, John chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I am going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not recognize it, recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Verse number six. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Verse number seven, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped up his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing their net full of fish for they were not far away from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning of, of burning coals and there were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. But even with so many, the net was torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of his disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave thanks to them and did the same with the fish. This is, was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised 
from the dead. I love this, this beautiful encounter that John paints right at the end of his gospel of this encounter with the resurrected Jesus that the disciples have. And just to give you a little bit of context, maybe you're not familiar with the story, but this is after Jesus has, has lived, died, resurrected, and now he's meeting with, encountering his disciples on numerous occasions. And I want you to think just for a moment, for the disciples, what a traumatic period this has been. Like literally they've given their whole lives to following Jesus. That they, he's called them from where they were and now they've journeyed with him. And all their expectations, all their hopes, all their dreams have been shattered as he's arrested and he's crucified. And now they're seeing a resurrected Jesus before them and they've still got questions that are unanswered. They've still got doubts. They've still got fears because this hasn't really gone as they planned. And I don't know about you. I don't know when you stepped into 2019. I don't know what your aspirations were. I don't know what your resolutions were. I don't know what your expectations were. But sometimes as you approach the end of a year, we can look back and think, wow, that's not what I expected. Maybe you look back on a bunch of years a collective season of years. And there's a sense in you when you go, when you look back, you think, oh my goodness, I did not see any of that coming. And there's a sense in which we're trying to make sense, trying to find our way through the reality that we face. And I think for, for the disciples, you, you could make all kinds of assumptions about what, what it means for them to go back fishing. This is what they used to do. The Sea of Galilee is a familiar place. In fact, there's parallels between the calling of the disciples here, uh, from right at the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, to the end right here in this encounter. All kinds of parallels. They're, they're back where they started. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when you walk through seasons where what you were hoping for and expecting didn't quite materialize and you're unsure of the way forward, sometimes you can feel like you find yourself right back at the beginning. And for the disciples, they're right back at the beginning. I don't know what that means for Peter and for the disciples as they sit in the boat. I don't know if they're reflecting on, man, I thought we'd be further on than this. I thought I'd be different. And I don't know whether you've ever felt like this. I know I have. I, I feel sometimes like I'm disappointed with who I am. Because I thought I would be better and further on than where I'm at. And I should imagine as they sat in the boat, the disciples, I should imagine they've got all that going on. The season they've walked through, the things that have happened, the things that they've seen, the loss that they've experienced, the frustration that's going on in their world and in their life. And they're at that point and they sat in the boat and to make it worse, they're fishermen and they've fished all night and they've caught nothing. And I should imagine they're feeling like I can't do anything. Ever felt like that? That whatever I turn my hand, just me then, this morning, thank you. Making me feel better, 2019. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I should imagine that, that as they sat there, they've, they've all this going on within them. And feeling like whatever I do, whatever I try, it just doesn't work out. And I think in life we've got to admit that there's a gap and, between the, and there's a difference between expectation and reality. 
There's the expectation of who I thought I would be. There's the expectation of the marriage I thought that I'd have and the life that I envisioned for myself. And then there's the reality of what I'm working and dealing with day to day. And I think sometimes in life, when we're not aware of the gap, and when we're still holding on to the expectation of what we'd painted in our heads of the perfect life that we would have, sometimes it's difficult then to face the reality of your day-to-day. And maybe you retreat to some things that you used to do. For the disciples, as they sat in the boat, that's a familiar boat, that's a familiar sea. What they're doing, the task, the act as they fish, it's a familiar act. And I think sometimes when we're expectation is different from reality, we retreat to maybe some old patterns of thinking. Maybe some old behaviors that we used to know and are now trying to find comfort in because we don't want to face the days ahead. Because we don't feel like we've got the strength. And some things that can lead us backwards to that place, just a few things for us, frustration. Imagine Peter as he sat in that boat. The frustration that I, what I thought I was giving my life to isn't in reality what I was giving my life to. And we know it's far bigger and God's got it all in hand and God's got a plan that Peter knows not of. And we know that. But, but there's still a human element for Peter of frustration. Frustrated with the situation. Frustrated with himself. Exhaustion. I should imagine they're tired. Fished all night and caught nothing. Exhausted. I should imagine emotionally they're exhausted because of what they've been through. And they just want to create some space and some time to hide. And they go back to what they know. Loss. Loss can cause us to go back instead of forward. Think about this. I know that we know the full story. I know that we know Jesus after three days raised from the grave. But the disciples didn't know that. And in the process of those three days, imagine the immense grief that they've had to deal with. Not just as things not worked out as they planned, but but they lost their friend, their confidant, their leader, their mentor. He's gone. And what's the result is for the disciples, they want to retreat rather than stepping forward. And now that, that I know that Jesus is resurrected, they've seen him, but they're still trying to make sense of that. What does this mean? Failure is another thing that causes us to go back. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel in life like I must have exhausted God's grace. Anybody else? Like, oh, thank you, two, two more much on board this morning. You're in the boat with me this morning. There's three of us together. And failure... It makes you want to go backwards to old patterns, old behavior, old lifestyles, old people, old stuff. Rather than stepping into the life God has for you. And and they're in the boat and they've got all this going on and, and everything's going. And I want to encourage you, maybe this year you feel like you've fallen flat on your face. 
Maybe you've faced situations, and I know many of us have, we've faced situations that we didn't plan for and we didn't expect and we wouldn't have wanted. And we can almost, at the end of the year, as we look back, it feels like our head's just in a spin and we're in a little bit of a daze because it's not worked out. And we don't even think, sometimes at the end of the year, sometimes we don't even think, I don't, I don't want to get to that place where I'm looking forward to the next year. Because I've been there before. And I've expected a miracle and it didn't come. And I've expected breakthrough and I didn't see it. So why bother? What's the point? Let's just go fish. Why live in faith? When you can fish. Here's what I think the disciples' fishing represents to us. I think it represents living life in our own strength. I think for the disciples, they're fishing and living in their own strength. And they're about to have a fresh encounter. You know, sometimes in life you need a fresh encounter of Jesus. For some of you, I know you've been in faith for 10, 15, 20 years. There's sometimes, there's moments, there's seasons in life, you need a fresh encounter with Jesus. You need a fresh vision of who he is. You need a fresh word. You need to have the newness and the, that, that revival that takes place on the inside of you again so that you can face tomorrow. For some of us, we're living off an encounter 15 years ago and wondering why we're finding it hard to get up and believe and trust afresh today. Here's the, here's the great news for you today. Jesus is here and he wants an encounter with you today. This can be your day where you see him afresh, where you hear him afresh, where you eat with him afresh, where you commune with him afresh and you have the vibrancy not to go backwards but to go forwards. Today could be that day. Here's, here's what I think old, our own strength fishing represents. Own strength fishing, number one, it relies on experience rather than the leading of God. I think that's own strength fishing. Relies on experience, what we, where we've been, what we know, what we've experienced, the things we've seen, rather than the fresh leading of God in this season. For some of us, maybe we've got to get out of the seat of knowing it all and having it all together. And being the advisor and having the plan and relying on our own experience and get back to this morning going, hey God, lead me in this season. Speak to me in this season. Give me a word in this season. You know, sometimes in life, especially as, you, as you've gone on in faith for years, you can think like you know it all and you've got it all together. And, and I've been here before. Oh, and I know what to do. Well, that's, that's really good when you're speaking into someone else's situation. But when you've got to go through it yourself, it's different. And you're scratching around. And I know experience is good. That's, that's great. What God's shown us, what we've been through, what we've encountered, that's awesome. That's great. But there's no substitute for the fresh leading of God. God, what are you trying to teach me about myself in this season? God, what do you want me to understand about your character and your nature and your leading in this season. And I think for the disciples, as they got in that boat, they're leaning on what? Their own strength, their experience. We know these waters. We've been here before. And yet they need an encounter with Jesus and the leading of God. 
to really encounter something that will lead them forward. The second thing that own strength fishing does is it focuses on skill more than spirit. It focuses on skill more than the spirit of God. It says of David, um, David who's a king of Israel, it says of David that he led with, with skillful hand and integrity of heart. There was, there was the element of, of he, he, was, he had skill, he had ability, but also with integrity heart, it represents a spiritual quartet. It, it represents a leaning and a learning from God. I think we make far too much of skill and far too little of the spirit. I think we focus on being competent. I think we, even in what we give our lives to and give our hands to, I think we focus far too much on our contribution and far little on God's contribution. We need skill, but I tell you what, if I'm going to spend my time on anything this year, this coming year, it's not going to be on honing my skill. It's going to be on being led by the Spirit of God. Spend more time this coming year on leaning into what God has to say and the leading of his spirit. And the third thing that on strength fishing does is it leans on strength rather than surrender. I can do this. I can get through it. Just gotta, have you ever said, just got to push through. Just got to get through. And there are times, there are seasons where you just got to push through. But when you live surrendered to God, you recognize that your strength isn't enough and could never do it. What, is, what does scripture tell us? That in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. There's something about recognizing your own weakness and surrendering to God where you encounter, there's, there's a, like a collision of your weakness and God's strength. And when we're too busy trying to pretend we've got the strength that we need in order to get through what we've got to get through, we're missing out on really encountering the strength that comes from God. It's okay to say, I'm weak. It's okay to say, I don't have it all together. And I think the disciples are trying to whip up something in their own strength. And then Jesus arrives on the scene. After they're tired and exhausted and fished all night. And what I love about Jesus is, I get a sense, as I read the scriptures, I think Jesus was English. Because, because Jesus is extremely sarcastic extremely sarcastic. I don't know if you've seen this. He says this, bear in mind, context, fishing all night, caught nothing. And bear in mind, they're in a, oh, hello. They're, they're in a boat and there's about, there's, there's, there's a group of men in a boat and, and it's got tiring because they've took off their clothes. That's what it tells us. Peter has to put on his cloak because he's taking it off in order to jump in. So, so there's, there's this frustration going on. Can you imagine the level of anger and testosterone in that boat that night? And then Jesus arrives on the scene, on the shore, and it's almost like he goes, hello. <laughs> if, if he was in Frozen, he'd say, hoo-hoo, hi, family. <laughs> and and he, stood, he stood on the, the shore, and this is what he says. Verse 5, this is his opening statement. Sweaty, stressed. Angry, frustrated, fished all night, caught nothing. This is what Jesus says, verse 5. Friends, haven't you any fish? <laughs> Yoo-hoo. Friends, haven't you any fish? If we were going to translate that into our lives and our context, 
Think about the disciples fishing, living in their own strength and where it's taken them. They've caught nothing and their lives are fruitless. And here's what Jesus says in effect. He says, are you ready? Are you tired? Have you had enough of trying to do it yourself? He says, hello. How has the way that you're living worked for you? That's what he says. How is, is the, the way that you're going about things, the technique that you're using, the mindset that you have, the things that you're giving yourself to, how is it working for you? It's almost as if he, he waits till they arrive at a point where they've had enough of trying to do it in their own strength. And then he says, are you ready? He draws their attention to their lack based on their own pursuit in their own way. And he says, haven't you any fish? I think if Jesus was to speak to us today, he'd stand on the shore and he would say, what have you caught? How's the way that you've approached 2019 work for you? Are you tired? Have you had enough? You want to do it in a different way? How about we do it my way? Maybe this year, as you end it, you're tired, fed up, disappointed. And not just with stuff, with you. I think Jesus' words to us today would be the same as the, to the disciples. Are you ready to fish a different way? Are you ready to live a different way? Because together, we can do this. And he shouts to him and he says this. He said, cast your net on the right side. And they've been fishing in these waters all night and caught not a thing. Maybe you've been working on your marriage all year and it's not gone anywhere. Maybe you've been working on yourself all year feel like you've gone backwards rather than forwards. And Jesus says, take out the net that you've been putting in same waters, same net, different instruction. Cast it on the right side. The right side represents sovereignty. It represents God's way. Jesus, we know, sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, the, the royal hand from a king in days of old, the royal hand, that the hand that anoints was the right hand. It's the sovereign hand. It's the hand that the king would use to touch and anoint. And he says, cast your net on the right side. I think that this represents, I think it represents the left side was your strength. The way that you thought it should be done. Now put it in the right side. The side now has been touched by God. Because he wants to move. And he wants to work. 
And it says that as they cast their nets on the right side, that there's an abundance of fish. It says that they can't even haul in the net. They go from fruitless to abounding. They go from lack to plenty. What's the difference? Obedience. That's the difference. It's obedience. You know, one of the hardest things in, in, in the journey with God and to live as Christ followers, the hardest thing isn't, isn't knowing God's instruction and leading. The hardest thing is obedience to God's instruction and leading. That's what takes theory to practice. You can know it all. But what you do with what you know is what really matters. And they step from just theory to practice. Here's an interesting thought when you read the scripture. It says that when Jesus arrived on the seashore, when, he, when, he, when they saw him, and by, by the way, this, this text is pretty clear. They're not far from shore. So they can see him clearly. And it says that when they saw him, they did not recognize him. You can be looking for God and miss him. You can be scratching around, looking at your life, looking for, for, for answers, looking for signs, looking for everything. You can look to your feelings. How do I feel about this? And you can start to try and discern the will of God by your feelings. That's a dangerous thing to do. It says they didn't recognize him by their sight. It was when he spoke that they knew him. Scripture tells us that we live by faith, not by sight. Scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's not from what you see. It's not how things appear. It's what he says that matters. And what he said was cast your nets. And as they're obedient to what God says, that's when they see the breakthrough. Here's the challenge for us as we draw a line under this year and as we move into the next. It's not just to look for the signs of what God's doing. It's not even just to hear what he says. But it's to hear what he has to say to us and act on it. What does God want you to do? What apology does God want you to make? What net does God want you to mend? What side does God want you to cast your net into? Have you had enough fishing the way you're going to fish? Do you want to do it God's way? Band, if you want to come, we're going to get ready to finish in just a second. What I love about Peter is Peter, Peter will get it wrong. Peter will try and he will fail. But what I love about Peter is Peter will always get back up and go again. What I love about Peter is he's expressive. He's responsive. You know, he, he could have, as Jesus is stood on the shore and they recognize it's him by what he says, and as they see the, the hole of fish, he could, have, he could have sat in that boat and got all melancholy. He could have sat in that boat and lamented about the last season, and he could have had questions and doubts and fears. Well, when I, when I followed him before, when I responded to his call, it didn't work out as I planned. I've walked on these waters and I've sank. 
He could have sat down and he could have talked with the boys and they could have had, they could have had a little meeting about everything that has gone wrong. But what I love about Peter, it says when he recognizes it's Jesus, when he knows it's him, he puts his cloak around him and he jumps in. He jumps in. He's, he's not refined. He's not reserved. He's not weighing it up from a distance, which sometimes we do. When we know God is, is, is speaking to us, when we know he's asking us to go again, when we know that he's asking us to pray and believe, even though last time it didn't end like we thought it'd end. When he's asking us to take a risk afresh, and he's saying, let's move past your pain and let's step into the future. Here's what we do. We wait up from a distance, all the pros and all the cons. Not Peter. Peter jumps in. In 2020, as you look back on 2019 with all the disappointments and, and maybe all the, the false expectations and all that kind of stuff, I want to encourage you this next year, jump in. Jump in afresh. Jump in. It says that the other disciples, they sit down and they look at Peter as he's running to the shore. And they wait until they get to dry land. You see, Peter had far more at stake. Peter had failed more than anybody. And he knew that what he needed was a fresh encounter with Jesus. And as he jumps in, he says, I'm getting there before anybody else does. I'm not waiting. I'm not weighing it up. I'm not questioning anymore. I'm jumping in because I need Jesus. I need him. You know, sometimes our reaction when we're in that moment and we're beginning to see things a little clearer and Jesus is calling to us. Instead of jumping in and saying, I'm coming after you, God, here's what we do. We start looking at the stuff around us to blame for our current situation. Well, it's my partner. My life would be perfect without them. Well, it's my employer. Well, it's my house. It's the house. Well, it's my name. Well, it's the street. Well, it's my church. No, come on. It's us. It's us. We need Jesus in order to move forward. It says that when Peter, when he gets to Jesus, here's what I love. Jesus is already cooking breakfast. While they were, while they, food again, I know. I'm making you hungry. Get ready for turkey in just a moment. While they were trying to catch fish, Jesus is cooking fish. He's already, he's already caught it, killed it, and now he's cooking it. While they were striving in their own strength, Jesus has already gone before. And here's what it tells us in the text. It tells us that he has fish and bread. Fish and bread. I read that. I don't know, it, made, it cast my mind back to the feeding of the 5,000. Where D Jesus takes a few fish and a few loaves that are brought to him. And he breaks them. And he divides it up. And the miracle takes place. I wonder if this is a subtle, a subtle encouragement from Jesus. A reminder to the disciples, as they see the fish and as they see the bread... Look at what your life's like when you're living in your own strength. Look at the season you've just had and the night you've just had. And it's a reminder what life can be, look like in the hands of Jesus.
that it's not until you put the fish and the bread in the hands of Jesus that the miracle takes place. And maybe for some of you, you've been trying to work it out. You've been trying to divide it up yourself. And this morning, it's your morning afresh again. And you say, again? I've done this before. Do it every day. Do it as much as you can. Put your life in the hands of Jesus. And you'll be surprised at what He can multiply and what He can take as little and make it much. I'll read you this before we finish. You've got to realize that it's when your life is in God's hands that the miracle takes place. You see, a piece of marble in my hands just stays as ugly stone. But in the hands of Michelangelo, it's a beautiful structure. A basketball in my hands is worth about 20 quid. But in Michael Jordan's hands, it's worth millions. A golf club in my hands, you better watch out, that's dangerous. But a golf club in Tiger Woods' hands is worth millions too. A guitar in my hands is a dreadful sound. But put it in the hands of Jimi Hendrix and he astounds the masses. A rod in my hands might beat a few people. But a rod in the hands of Moses sees the Red Sea open. A sling in my hand is nothing more than a kid's toy. But in the hands of David, it brings down a giant. Spit and clay in my hands is a mud cake for you this Christmas. But spit and clay in Jesus' hands heals blind eyes. Five loaves and two fish in my hands will give you a fish finger butting. But in Jesus' hands, it feeds 5,000. And a few nails and wood in my hands gets you an ugly wooden box. But nails in Jesus' hands through wood is the act of the Savior who would deal with sin and with death and bring victory. This year, as you end the year, you've got a choice. Is this year, is your life going to end in your hands or in the hands of Jesus where the miracle can take place? Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? That's the end of this week's podcast. We hope that it inspired you. For any more information, visit bravechurch.co.uk.